This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcast that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 98. This is new to you and new can be scary. When people need help, I never refuse. There's this moment when you're sure you're about to die, and then you're born. I know exactly who I am. I'm the doctor. Ta-da! Ooh. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the Suranga conundrum. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. And it really is hard to thinking to avoid thinking of the Big Bang Theory when you hear a name <laughs> like the Saranga Conundrum. I know we've mentioned that a couple times. <laughs> so, uh, the, the quick reminder, like we always do, remember to like the Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook. We have a Facebook page for the podcast. Uh, retweet the episodes on Twitter. Leave us comments. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on YouTube, where you should hit the bell to get notifications when we post a new episode there. And please share the podcast with your friends to help us grow the community of listeners, reach more lis- reach more listeners. That's what we're about. We're here to, uh, to reach out to people and uh, have them join our conversation. And uh, also, if you can leave a review on iTunes. Uh, or one of the podcast directories that helps as well. Uh, Jimmy, do you have a word for us on our giving campaign that we've got going? Yeah. So as uh, longtime listeners know, we're in the middle of a giving campaign. We haven't run one in two years. And so consequently, we need your support and we need it now because our funds have been diminishing. If you like Secrets of Doctor Who and the other podcasts that StarQuest produces, then this is the time to show your support. Uh, Please go to sqpn.com slash give, or just go to sqpn.com and click the banner at the top of the page. And you'll be taken to where you can sign up and become one of our regular monthly Patreon supporters. A lot of people have been doing that, but we need a lot more. Uh, we're quite a ways from our goals. And um, and it's essential. If you want to hear these podcasts continue, that we are able to be able to pay the costs associated with them. We have some wonderful thank you gifts we'd like to send you. Based on your favorite SQPN shows, including Secrets of Doctor Who, Secrets of Star Trek, and Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. So by all means, please go uh, to sqpn.com slash give, and uh, please be as generous as you can. We do need your support if we're going to continue to produce these podcasts. Thank you, Jimmy. So to get into uh, today's episode, we have the Saranga syndrome, uh, conundrum. I keep wanting to say syndrome. <laughs> because, it would be alliterative, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Uh, but it's the it's a conundrum. The, the why I can't say conundrum. Um, so they're they're visiting the doctor and uh, Yaz and Graham and Ryan are visiting a junk planet 
uh, in a junk that was galaxy. Cool. Yes. Yeah. No kidding. Apparently, that's where how in the future we've solved our problem of uh, too many uh, dumps in rubbish uh, uh, centers. Yeah, instead all- of you know, instead of dumping them in the ocean or finding some rural place to put them, we just launch them into space into some galaxy somewhere. You know, <laughs> millions and millions of light years away. That we're, works. Where we've apparently filled a galaxy with our junk. I mean, that's a, a, bit, a bit of the uh, space fantasy aspects of Doctor Who coming out again. Uh, the idea that you could fill a, a, every planet on a, in a galaxy with your junk. Uh, they're looking for some device, but it, we never get told what it is. But, you know. Yeah, I wasn't clear on that. I wondered if either of y'all had an idea. Up. Yeah. Whatever it was, she held up some sort of funnel looking pipe thing. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think uh, I'm not sure uh, the, it, it'll it'll ever matter. But we do get um, the sense that some time has passed since the last episode, uh, since the Arachnids in the UK. Uh, where the doctor says, hey, didn't I take you to visit the the rain baths of some planet and so on and so forth? And I, as I look at it, uh, I think this is the first like major jump in time since mm-hmm. twice upon a time in the regeneration, barring the time between, in the first episode where we had the funeral. We assume there was some days uh, in, in there. Right. In In terms of episode jumps, though, I think, Really, we only had so between twice upon a time and the woman who fell to earth, there's basically no jump. Right. She's still falling through the air at the beginning of that episode. And then there's also no jump between the woman who fell to earth and the great race episode, whatever they called that, where they're floating in space for a minute. Ghost monument. Um, Yeah. Ghost monument. But then subsequently, it's I think it's been back to normal where we've had gaps coming into Rosa, they mentioned they'd tried a whole bunch right. of times right. and then they apparently we have another gap where we at the end of Rosa going into the spider episode and then we have an, had another gap here. So we're kind of back to normal in that. Okay. They're not doing the kind of serialization that early Doctor Who did on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, in fact, um, there, there there's room now for the comic books which are coming. There's actually a little bit of news is um, the Titan Comics has a line of uh, 13th Doctor comic books coming out with new stories uh, in mm-hmm. there in between these episodes. And I'm but, sure Big Finish will find some place to fit stuff into when yes, that time comes. When the time comes sometime in the future. Uh, so they stumble on a, a sonic mine, which explodes. Uh, I like the fact it's a sonic mine and thus uniquely sensitive to the Doctor's sonic technology. Right, right, again, right, because the those detectors that they're waving around, they're like metal detectors, uh, that which they can't be because everything in the pile is metal. But the detectors, it's a not non metal detector, detects everything in there that's not metal. <laughs> right, it's a needle in a haystack detector, as Graham puts out, points out. Um, but it must be based on yeah the the you know Gallifreyan sonic technology, and so therefore sets it off. Um, thankfully, does not kill them, uh, but it, it injures them. Uh, to where they're incapacitated for up to four days, I think is what we're uh, we're told. Uh, yeah, they and, said four days, and it sounded like it rearranged their internal organs. Kind of sounds like a Dalek weapon. Yeah, it was a ton of like some nasty bits. Luckily, there was a the uh, a rescue ship. Now I was a lot of this went by quick and the accents, so I didn't catch it all. But uh, a rescue ship from. Somebody. The Saranga Corporation or whatever it is. Okay, something like that. Yeah, and uh, uh, it's like basically a space ambulance. Yeah, that mm-hmm. uh, you, it, it gets a call. It goes out. It alters its. It's on a regular route. Alters its course. Picks them up. 
and uh, they're on board this very sleek looking future hospital type ship when they awake where they're being treated by two medics and the and the ship is remotely piloted from its home base and if you try to tamper with its course it'll blow up so it seemed to me like this was a really powerful statement by the producers against driverless cars <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> well i mean yeah i mean that seems very like a a, a very um extreme like if your ambulance is going off track well you better blow it up like what is with blowing yeah. everything up in, sp- in future space? Well, and it was, it was kind of funny because it's like all the list of things that could happen is if the if all the sensors detect something was wrong on the ship, you get three chances and then it blows up. Right. If the ship goes off course, it blows up. If they decide that it needs to be sterilized, it blows up. It's just like, yeah. is there any... So you've got better chances of getting blown up than actually making a success, successful mission, apparently. Right. Yeah. The Saranga Corporation obviously has great care for its patients. Right. They're really worried about uh, something getting on board these ships and making its way back, apparently. Maybe that's what it is, which maybe <laughs> but, that's but, a justified concern. <laughs> by the way, I noticed something. So at the beginning of the episode, as soon as they wake up on the space ambulance, the doc and they're told, you know, it's Saranga. They hear the word. The doctor says, "Where have I heard that before?" And I thought, "Oh, here we go again. A word the doctor has heard before, but can't immediately remember what its significance is." And that's like a standard writing trope. You know, we've mm-hmm. talked about TARDIS separation, which we have in this episode. Right. We've talked about companion separation, which we also get in this episode. Well, the thing the doctor can't quite remember is another writing trope on the show because the fact that the doctor has heard of something will allow the solution to the plot typically. Now, here they actually pay it off early, but typically it's once the doctor remembers what he or now she has heard, that becomes part of the solution. So it's a plot Mm -hmm. resolution thing for the doctor to already know about it, but it's a plot withholding or tension sustaining element that the doctor can't immediately remember what the significance of something is. Although it it makes a little bit of sense given, you know, the doctor is thousands of years old. And I mean, I, I'm only 50 and I can't remember stuff. Oh no, I'm not (laughs) not saying it's implausible. I'm just saying, notice the way the show runners use this trope. It's a way of, a way of, build a way of sustaining tension so the doctor can't immediately address the situation but the fact there's some knowledge back in the back of her mind right. somewhere right. that that eventually is what helps resolve the situation of course, of course it also allows for an easy way for the writers to say okay now we're going to explain what xyz is and the doctors go oh yeah now i remember yeah you know yeah they went a little overboard with her um with the antimatter engine and uh the the yeah. put you know sticking words into Yaz's mouth like you know it was such a, a very obvious like uh, I need to uh, expound on what an antimatter and <laughs> antimatter is uh, sort of moment and there was this like this whole didactic moment um, which everything she says is actually true that the physics I mean, on yeah, what she says is true about antimatter but it was it was kind of obvious it was kind of obvious of almost like you know a teacher and a student oh yes i remember hearing about that in another class <laughs> yeah it was a bit obvious writing i think it'll it'll be nice to where in the future we won't have to explain antimatter to the audience all the time the way we now don't have to explain what a black hole or a parallel world is to right. the audience yeah. every single time 
gosh, I mean, we've been talking about antimatter for 40 years in science fiction. Do we still have to explain? I mean, does it matter? I mean, do people really need to? The Enterprise was powered by that stuff. Come on. It's it's been in pop culture for a while. (laughs) Right. So uh, the doctor um, is uh, when she wakes up is um, disoriented and also very upset that she's now separated from the TARDIS again. Only two episodes and she's lost it again. And uh, she's she starts roaming around this hospital ship. She doesn't know it's a ship yet, but this hospital ship trying to get out to get back to the TARDIS. Um, ends up running into this room where there's this General Eve Cicero, who mm-hmm. is apparently very famous. She's in the book of mm-hmm. book of celebrants. Is that what yes. they called it? Yeah. Um, I, I like I like that they pronounced her name Cicero, um, the classic English pronunciation of that Latin right. name, instead of forcing on it the Germanesque modern Kikero pronunciation. <laughs> right, right. Mm. But uh, so she, so Cicero is apparently a famous uh, uh, warrior, soldier, pilot um, from the future, um, and is in the book. And then when the do- the doctor says, um, you know, I'm the doctor. She, th- I think this is the first time she's recognized by name yes. this season. Yep. Where some, oh, yep. you're that doctor. Um, you have a chapter, and she kind of. I like the fact yeah. that she says, "Oh no, no, it's just a small bit." And then she even goes, "Well, it's really a volume, really." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like that. Or she kind of plays it down, and then also like, "Oh, by the way, actually, it's like a whole book. It's a whole volume." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let, let's the companions know it's actually more than that. <laughs> yep. So, um, I, I didn't know whether like it. One of my concerns with with the writing in this or the or the directing or the way that it was was directed was how quickly information was flying by. I was having a hard time mm-hmm. at times keeping up, and a little bit is the accent, I guess. I mean, I I listen to a lot of British TV and movies. I mean, I I can listen to the accent; it's not usually a problem. But this was going yeah, by but, so fast. Yeah, subtitles would have helped in some scenes. Yeah, I had to go back, in fact, and listen to a couple things twice and even sometimes the second time i didn't get it um but yeah, it's, it's obviously it, want to get a lot of background out there and established so they could get onto the the main plot i mean right. that's that really is a lot of it was get as much of the background established as quickly as possible and then go and the episode was pretty fast paced yes this is it a was. classic running about through quarters episode yes lots of <laughs> corridors lots of running uh, another uh, patient on the ship, or in fact, the only other patient on the on board the ship that we run into is Yoss, a male a gift tan who's an alien who is mm-hmm. apparently pregnant. And so uh, the, we learned throughout through the episode that uh, the gift hands are aliens that look exactly like us, but have a completely different biology, uh, kind of like the doctor, um, mm-hmm. where males and females both become pregnant. And males give birth only to males, females only to females. Pregnancy lasts a week, uh, and they have two umbilical cords that have to be cut simultaneously. All of which is designed to give us a nice B story uh, that has some amusing moments for Ryan and Graham, as well as to give us an opportunity to talk about fatherhood. Yeah, 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 a little bit with yes too. Yeah. One one thing I do like about this is this season, especially the aliens are actually. Aliens. They right. look like humans, but they're actually aliens. It's not, you know, humans that are a million, million light years from Earth. And, you know, David Tennant having his big diatribe or not diatribe, but, oh, humans, you're so wonderful. You're a million years from Earth and you still survive right. and, 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 and. No, these are actually aliens. Yeah. 
They're either all of al- these, yeah, aliens that look like us or aliens that don't look like us but have our names, like Tim right. Shaw. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a mishearing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that was that was kind yeah. of playing on it. Yeah, what, but what what I liked, uh, one of the things I liked. Now, obviously, a lot of this is really a lot of the Yas subplot is really to let Ryan reflect on his issues with his father, which is yeah. very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I like you know the fact that they get a little creative and after they've introduced the male pregnancy thing. Um, Ryan is uncomfortable with it and he, and, you know, Yaz even looks a little uncomfortable with it. Um, they're not quite sure how to relate to this guy. And then what I really like though, and that's just expected, um, anytime a person encounters something really alien, especially on a sensitive subject like sexuality, they're going to feel uncomfortable. That's to be expected. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact they play on that then because when Yas learns that humans don't all get pregnant and give birth to the same sex he's instantly disgusted by that and (laughs) he's like really uncomfortable doesn't want to know a whole lot more about human reproduction (laughs) right exactly and uh i mean there's some really nice moments i think in this whole uh yas pregnancy uh subplot where uh you know ryan reacts uh and yaz react to uh yas's um i guess we should call them intrauterine pictures because it's Obviously not ultrasound because it's, you know, a thousand yeah. years in the future, whatever, a few thousand, uh, 67 it might be ultrasound is sonic technology does a lot of things. Well, that's, that this is true. So but they have a nice reaction. And, you know, Ryan, you know, is like, mate, you're growing a person. Um, the, 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 this Yoss says he got pregnant while on holiday unexpectedly. I find that the I don't want to get into a political debate, but I find it interesting that a that the only option considered is either a, uh, giving up the child for adoption or keeping it. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. That, that there wasn't a, a termination abortion discussion, never came up at all, which I thought was interesting and, and somewhat from a pro-lifer perspective like myself, a little bit encouraging. Yeah, I, I was encouraged by that. And the pictures they showed of the of the child, you know, as it's, Three. This is the three hours ago picture. It's clearly fully formed. It's yeah. clearly as a person. Yep. Um, that's something that uh, I really appreciated. I appreciated a little bit less. I when it ca- came time for the baby to be born, mm-hmm. Ryan t- says to Yoss, and this is a direct quote: "You're going to bring a person into being." Right, and that. Okay, no, the person already bees. Um, it's just <laughs> right. yeah. it's just going to come out now. Yes, and um, and so that struck me as kind of uh, I don't know, a gesture to the pro-abortion community. Sure. In this episode, but I think the underlying humanity of the situation rang through in this the way it does in real life too. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Um, the, we, of course, we get uh, the the comedy aspect when Graham and Ryan are called upon to be the doulas, uh, yep. the assistants, yep. uh, because you know they're the only guys available, right? Because only guys can be doulas for guys uh, for gift hands, apparently. Um, I, I love I love Graham in this. Oh, oh he's watched all the episodes of Ask the Midwife. <laughs> yeah, but he turned away at the squeamish part, so yeah. he didn't actually know what happened. <laughs> right, uh, Graham. So, in case you don't know, Call the Midwife is a is a very popular. Uh, show I should know. My wife has watched all the episodes of that too. Oh. Uh, it, and in fact, it's actually interesting that she tells me about it. It's it's based on a uh, a memoir by this woman who was, in fact, 
uh, a nurse in England in the uh, 40s and 50s, I think it was. Oh, I remember this. I've seen an episode of this. Yeah. This is this is a, it's a it's a historical drama. It's not yes. what you might think like a reality television. It's, it's not show. a reality show and it's not a like a tutorial show about no. it's it's actually a historical drama about this order of religious sisters who serve the poor uh, in this neighborhood, pri- primarily, firstly, as midwives, but also through their other health needs. And it follows them over time in various situations that come up um in fact that we there's been a suggestion that maybe we should do an episode of secrets and movies and, and tv shows one of our other podcasts on call the midwife hmm. uh which means i'm going to end up having to watch <laughs> at least some of it in order to talk about it but uh but I, I do love the fact that graham has watched every episode while whilst you've been mucking about on youtube i've been learning useful life skills he says to write <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> which is funny <clears throat> of course he hasn't been because he, he turns away at the, the squeamish parts um, but, but so there's that, the, the fun aspect. And then there's that, we talked about that serious aspect where Ryan talks, especially to Yaz, uh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Yaz, the names are too similar, talks to Yaz about his dad and we get some more information. His dad was Ryan's age when Ryan was born. Um, and now so he must be around 40, early forties now. Yeah. Because Ryan, I think, is 19 and or I think that's what oh, they said. Then late, yeah, 19, late yeah, 30s. Be, yeah, 38 to 38 to 40, somewhere in there. And he, now Ryan understands how his dad might have been really, you know, unsure about being a dad. And and then we, we learn about how Ryan's mom died. She died of a heart attack five or six years ago. I think it was. Mm-hmm. He was 13. I, I think he said mm-hmm. so six he years. He was 13. And he found her. And he's the one who found her. And then the dad couldn't deal. And now he understands why maybe his dad couldn't deal with ryan um after right. the after that experience uh because he reminded to and then his that's why his dad ran off and left him with nan mm-hmm. uh so we get some more from ryan and we get some growth out of ryan and we we maybe when we get back to earth there'll be that opportunity i'm sure we'll see him see his dad Exactly. I'm sure too. I am a little. I I found this episode made me less sympathetic to his dad because really? previously, yeah, mm-hmm. previously we didn't know why his dad wasn't here, and so I could imagine maybe there's some. Even though they're setting him up as an uh, as an unlikable character, maybe there's another perspective. Maybe he. Maybe there's a, a good reason that he's not there. Maybe. Ryan's mother drove him away or kicked him out or something. Um, but this, the reason they present here ostensibly is a good reason for or an understandable reason for him to go to me is not. It's like right. if your wife dies and you've got a child, you suck it up and you stay there and yeah. care for that child. And right. abandoning a child in that situation when the child's mother is dead is worse Mm-hmm. In my mind, than abandoning a child when their mother is still there to take care of them, you know. Yeah. Maybe having having watched as much Doctor Who as we have, there's a part of the back of my mind of okay, there's going to be more to this story than just he abandoned them because of grief. Mm-hmm. There's going to be an alien involved, or abduction, <laughs> or you know, there's going to be something not. else going on here. I hope not as well. I hope they keep it where it's at. You know, just that the guy flaked out. But yeah. I don't think they're trying to excuse it because um, it is that that is even worse. But I think what they're trying to do is build a case for Ryan being able to forgive. I think that mm. might be more. Yeah, but this doesn't do that for me. It doesn't make it more forgivable. 
Well, well it's, for, it's, for you and me, because now we're learning more. But remember, Ryan has known this all along. So he's trying to integrate this into his own understanding. It's like what he did was wrong. But, you know, I'm I'm figuring it out. I'm dealing with it and seeing because what he says to uh, to Yoss is, you know, when Yoss is like, I can't do this. I can't be a dad. He says, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be there. And I can imagine this is Ryan going to say this to his dad in person uh, mm -hmm. when he finally sees him, because Ryan is starting to realize this. And so well, I think and, this and is and that before, open door. And before this, we, we had no idea what the circumstances were. We don't know if Ryan's dad just left right after Ryan was born, was never in his life, except for rarely was. Well, now we know that actually for the first 13 years of his life, he was in Ryan's life. Yeah. But then it changed later, you know, changed after his mom's death. So, I mean, that does put more context. That does. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't make him more sympathetic. In fact, it makes him worse. But at least now we've got more context that the guy wasn't just a deadbeat dad from the beginning. That's true. Now, we've kind of uh, explored the uh, pregnancy issue uh, a good bit, but I want to back up for a minute to the beginning of the episode, because as the doctor is running through the hospital ship and as we're meeting Yoss and as we're meeting General Cicero and her two companions, one of which is her android uh, servant and the other of whom is her brother. Uh, consort. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, she says consort for the for the android, but he's... Yeah. I get the uh, he's really there. He's basically her caretaker. Yep. Um, he's not a consort in the sense of he's her mate. Um, you know, he's just there to provide service for her and care for her as far as we can tell. Apparently, as something that's part of her military service, if right. I understood correctly, because now he's going to be shut down. It's like he's fulfilled his function that the military has assigned him or that's how I understood it. So I thought he's kind of like her boodle boy or something. Um, which is a kind of servant that certain military officers will have. Um, right. in any, in any event, um, we're meeting them, but the doctor's running around and she's being very hostile and selfish. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and finally the chief med tech there, um, Astos. tells her, Astos tells her directly, quote, you're being hostile and selfish. And I thought, Right. She is. She is not being the adult in the room right now. She's the two year old throwing the tantrum and everyone else is being reasonable. <laughs> and 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 she has the presence of mind to say, you're right. I am. And her attitude changes from that moment. And I thought it was so nice that they showed the doctor throwing a tantrum and being irrational and then call her on it and then have her agree because this is not what would have happened with other recent doctors and i thought it was no. so refreshing to see this no matter how arrogant 10 9 10 11 or 12 got they didn't get called on it in this way and they didn't agree right well they, they would get called like you know um 11 or uh, excuse me 12 would get called on it by clara and he just he'd kind of yeah whatever and move on that's what i mean we didn't get this yeah. pattern yeah there certainly wasn't a self-reflectiveness to say, you know, you're right. I am being selfish and I need to stop no, it. And and, yeah. And this, I think this is kind of going back to the, the, the more more humble doctor that we've been seeing from Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. She's like she, a female. She Peter is Davis. much more humble, you know, much more humble. I mean, she's still the smartest person in the room. She just doesn't feel the need to tell you every five minutes. Right. Yeah. 
just occasionally she'll mention there's that whole volume in the book of celebrants. <laughs> right. Yeah. But those or sorts the fact of things that she's a doctor of, well, let's hear the doctor of, uh, well, I had it right here. Medicine, science, engineering, candy floss, Lego, philosophy, music, problems, people, and hope. But mostly hope. Mostly hope. <laughs> yeah. I do like that candy floss or candy, uh, cotton candy for us here in the States. And then yes. Legos. Everybody knows Lego. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that doctor of Lego, uh, especially. So um, Maybe that's what the TARDIS is actually built out of. Well, in uh, sometimes in my house it is. So <laughs> uh, I like uh, the, there's a fun moment where she's talking to Astos. He's the head medic. Um, and Astos is a bad liar. She calls him on it because he nods or shakes his head opposite of what he's saying when he's lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like there is no way to get off the ship and he's nodding his head or, or that sort <laughs> of thing. Uh, I, I, th- I thought that was a little bit of fun uh, directing, fun acting uh, going on there uh, in, mm-hmm. in that moment. Um, and then we have the the conundrum happens, which is the ship is boarded by this alien, a what it, it's called a pating. And it may, yeah. it may be the most at first. We don't know her first, but it may be the most dangerous creature in the universe. Uh, it's like the ultimate indestructible, ultimate terror ever right. ultimately conceived, yeah. designed, it's, engineered, whatever it happens to be. It looks it's a little basic, like a chud. It's, it, it's <laughs> basically a cute version of the alien from Alien. Uh, that's a sens- well, that's essentially what we're getting is, is that we have a, an it's the classic alien uh, on board a uh, spaceship. Uh, crawling yep. through spaces where we can't see him and attacking at random, except the people are not the target. The ship is. Um, and right. then we find out it's the energy of the ship. So it's a creepy, cute creature that eats anything, can survive in space. Um, it eats the sonic, but spits it out drained of energy, which becomes significant yep. later. Um, it has toxic skin, so it'll kill you if you touch it. It's extremely it's impossible fast to kill. It's impossible to kill. Eats anything. You know, like I said, survives in space. I mean, this is I mean, forget weeping angels. This is this thing is yeah. well, it's, it's, it's threat level chalice. It's threat it, level yeah. chalice. So yeah. I mean, it must be pretty serious. <laughs> and and it looks like the crazy frog. Right. Yes, uh, it does. I think I, it actually, my thought my initial thought was the uh, the aliens on Galaxy Quest. Looks yes. a lot like them yeah. as well. Yeah, it looks like cute, them. and then it rears up its, you know, opens up its mouth, and there's all kinds of fangs and nasty. <laughs> yeah. And surprisingly, it was Sigourney Weaver also in that. So a little aliens. Yes. Uh, let's close the loop on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I like when they went to, to you know, when um, was it Mably went to check the the you know what is this creature that boarded? She calls up, you know, thank you for choosing perils of the constant division. We know you have a choice in vid briefings. <laughs> you yeah. know, the, uh, the, the standard uh, 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 introduction. Nice. There, it, it does cycle very quickly through some images as she's bringing up the image um, of Cyberman, Dalek, Weeping Angels, uh, Ood. Uh, and there was one other one I think there was. But so we can say the Daleks have been in this season of Doctor Who. Ah, okay. <laughs> I wondered how they were going to, or if they were just going to let that contract go with the state yeah. of Terry Nation. I'm not sure it's, it was it was uh, on screen long enough to satisfy a contract because, I mean, yeah. you really had to go frame by frame to see it. So it was mm. it was pretty quick. Um, so, so let's talk about the Pating in the room, which yes. is the Pating. <laughs> um, it's, it's unimpressive visually and and the cgi even though it's 
okay, I guess. It it doesn't scream realism at us deliberately. No. Yeah. And it's got a cute appearance and a cute name, and it's hard to take seriously as this ultra mega monster um, right. that's threat level chalice. And so it's more like it looks more like threat level tea kettle. And mm. and so for a lot of fans, the Pating is going to be the weakest spot in the episode. Now, upon watching it, my first reaction was pretty negative towards the Pating. I understand conceptually what they're trying to do. They're trying to fuse a monster with cute and subvert the cuteness trope, which is, and I, you know, I understand that. I give them points for that. I'm just not sure about the execution in this case. Um, how, having said that, having seen the overall shape of the episode and what they're doing with it, I'm okay with it. It's just, you know, I, it's okay, but I'm not a huge Pating fan. <laughs> uh, I, I can definitely agree agree with that. I just I, I think it was okay. I mean, it's there, I there was just more, wasn't quite I mean, the level of realism to it that that I was hoping for because you know you watch it eating this stuff, and of course we see later that it regurgitates everything it doesn't actually consume. You know, like metal and things like that. Eventually, you know, because it spits the Doctor Sonic right out right away after it's drained all the power. But you don't see any change to it. It just eats it and whatever it ate disappears. It doesn't yeah, grow bigger and, like the spiders. And, no. and, <laughs> and you, you can do, you know, deliberately odd monsters in a successful way. Like who would have thought you could take statues and make them really terrifying. But in Blink, the weeping angels are really terrifying. Right. And, you know, that's another let's subvert the statue trope and make it a monster. And that worked. Here, let's subvert the cute trope. Not so much. They didn't. It wasn't as successful. Also, and partly like when it's eating stuff, it takes things that are bigger than itself and shoves yeah. it down its mouth. It's like, is this thing bigger on the inside than the outside? Yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, I, I just thought it was kind of not as successful as it could have been. But ultimately, I'm OK with it. OK. Yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with it. It wasn't I mean, it wasn't the the best part of the episode for me, nor the worst. I mean, it was for me, it was just simply it's the conundrum. <laughs> it's it's the problem yeah. that the doctor has to solve this time. And what's mm -hmm. interesting to me is the doctor solving things, not necessarily the creature itself. And in fact, it, the, the solution to the creature was almost an afterthought because there were so many other problems. You know, mm -hmm. we have to keep the, the headquarters from exploding the ship and we have to you know, this guy's having the baby and the general's dying on the asteroids. Right. There was so many other things. It was just one other thing to deal with. So um, I, I didn't by, have by a problem way, with that. I, I did like how at the end of the threat level chalice briefing where they've just been the robotic voice has been telling them just how dangerous the pating is and how life threatening it is. Do not engage at all costs. When the briefing ends, the doctor says, well, on the plus side, I now feel very well informed. Exactly, <laughs> and i like that not just as a comedy line um but also that she didn't know about this thing before that's also nice to have mm -hmm. and refreshing right. and yet and yet the general did the general had faced one before it, it did destroy one had destroyed it, your fleet a fleet yeah <laughs> so um the, and it's not a i mean although it's an ultimate dangerous creature it's not the fate of the galaxy is at stake or even a planet, yeah. it's this one ship is is the is at stake. 
Um, the uh, I, I did like the line where the as the doctor was explaining the antimatter engine to Yaz, she called it the iPhone version of CERN, uh, which is uh-huh. an updated version. I kind of like that. Yeah. That was a little fun pop uh, culture reference. Um, we have the gen- general Cicero. By, by, the- the, by the way, at CERN right now, there are a couple of experiments involving antimatter where they're hoping to find out <clears throat> something we've never known about it. Uh, so antimatter is like normal matter, but with the opposite electrical charge. Mm-hmm. And it should, therefore, obey all of the other rules about normal matter, um, like it should fall down in gravity instead of up. But we've never had enough of it long enough to test that. And so right. they're, that's what they're trying to test right now at CERN, is they're trying to get enough antimatter <clears throat> in the right situation to see if it obeys the normal laws of gravity. So there's a chance we could have anti-gravity antimatter. Oh, interesting. Um, we have seen CERN actually before um, in in that Doctor Who. Codex and- episode. The yes, the extremists, um, where uh, it was p- part of the Veritas simulation, so it was part of a simulated world, so they wouldn't, weren't actually there. But uh, just uh, if you if you're wondering, uh, you've heard mm-hmm. the name on Doctor Who. That's before. right. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have um, the general General Cicero, who is the greatest pilot in uh, uh, ever. With that, the greatest pilot in ever. In ever right, I was trying to think of what the name of her yeah, civilization the... country is. She said it, and I don't. It it it, it wasn't something that stuck with me. But uh, so, of course, we need her to pilot, even though she we, she also has a ailment um, that will a kill mysterious her. Mysterious medical condition called, called pi- pilot's heart. Pilot's heart, right? And she's got to take she's got to take adrenaline blockers to control it. And it's like, okay, guys. You know, we have this and we have those adrenaline blockers. We call them beta blockers and they're mm. commonly used to treat heart conditions today. Right. Well, that's apparently one thing they in, haven't gotten better at in, in 60 in, centuries in, or 40 centuries. Yeah, including excessive adrenaline, because that's what beta blockers do is they desensitize your heart to the effects of adrenaline. So it slows down. Right. Hmm. Right. So as soon as you know this, you know that she's going to have to, to fly the ship and it will kill her. I mean, it's yeah. sort of one of the it's a trope. Uh, another classic trope is if there's someone pregnant on board, there will be a crisis during which that person will give birth. Yeah. Also a classic. Oh, trope. yes. Um, by the by the way, the, uh, the ge- she was general of the army of the Aeons. The Aeons. OK. okay. A-E-O-N-S. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll see them again someday. Uh, I have to admit, though, as soon as they said Ronan uh, was immune to the Pating's toxic skin, I thought mm-hmm. at some point the the Pating would eat him or parts of him or something like that. Uh, that 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 didn't even come up. Like he didn't even have to pick it up or touch it. Yeah, and that was that was not paid off, and yeah. they should have paid that off. Um, and which they could have done easily with a shot of him tossing the Pating to Yaz to put in the blanket. Right. Um. I, also, I did like Yaz. I did like Yaz punting the uh, <laughs> thing, though. Yes, England kicks. <laughs> the uh, they also in the briefing said the Pating eats inorganic matter, but not organic matter. So it immediately occurred to me: well, then force feed it organic matter. Yeah, or and they didn't end up doing that. Wrap it in a blanket of steak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I, I have to say it was not clear to me, um, and, and I thought this was a flaw in the writing. Even though we had a lot of stuff going on in this episode, the doctor is working on an anti-Pating plan, and the nature of this plan is never clear until the very end. Mm-hmm. And 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 I frankly had the feeling she doesn't have a plan, and we're just wandering through this episode until something finally occurs to her. And, and that made a good chunk of the episode feel directionless to me. Mm. No, I, I agree. I think there there really much there really is that that sense. I think they were kind of explicit about that, where you know, uh, they're after they had the little briefing or whatever it was, and uh, the uh, the medic says. You know, the doctor and the medic talk about how they, you know, they they have to imagine the solution. And later on, it's the, the medic says, right now, I'm imagining you sorting this out. And the doctor says, me too. <laughs> well, I think it, it kind of falls for it, which is not just Doctor Who, but a very common TV problem, which is someone has a solution that they're working the problem toward, but they don't tell anyone else. Right. Not but for entirely artificial reasons. Only in order to sustain the tension right. for the audience. If the this, audience this, doesn't know what the solution is, then it's more tense for us. Right. This is why Sherlock Holmes never presents his conclusions except all in a package. Right. Right. Or, actually, he sometimes does, yeah. but he notoriously withholds information from Dr. Watson that he's figured out. Right. And and this is the this is the the you know, a, a problem here because it's quite obvious. It's like I kept saying, like why are you intentionally not telling Yaz what you're doing? Like, just tell her I'm taking the bomb out because we're going to feed it to the Pating and the explosion will right. satiate it and we'll kick it out the airlock. Like, just say that. Like, why, like there's no yeah. logical reason for the doctor to withhold any of that information. It's not like the, the, the Pating is going to hear her and figure out what she's doing. Uh, so, <laughs> but the, this yeah. is not limited to Doctor Who. This is, you know, Star Trek, every. TV series does this, and it's really kind of annoying. Yeah, but I in this case, I found it, it when I'm starting to feel like this is directionless. It's that's when it it becomes more problematic for me. It's, yeah, they need. Yeah. I think they needed to mm-hmm. do something to give it a little more structure because, and it's even weird because we have these scenes where they know this super deadly creature that's worse than a Dalek is roaming around the ship, and so are our cast members i mean yaz and ryan are just hanging out and talking to people and having discussions about fatherhood and yeah this really is this the time for all of that when there's a <laughs> super dangerous thing on the loose that's going to kill all y'all yeah yeah well i mean there's the you know the 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 you're in a foxhole you you're really tense and you 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 start talking about things that are important to you that's one kind of way to do some exposition in a in a tense situation but there's no tension. Like when you see them in these situations, there's no sense of tension in them right. whether, when they're walking in the hall or when they're sitting with Yoss. There's, there's, there's none of that. They, and that, I think that's the flaw. Yeah. They could be sitting in a cafe having tea and having this exact same conversation. Right. They right. should have built in like this tension, like we might not get out of this. And I haven't dealt with, you know, my feelings about my dad or, or so, whatever the thing is. But, you know, just it, there should be that tension. I think that I, I agree with you there. I did feel like that was um, kind of an odd presentation myself. Um, apparently, the doctor loves Hamilton. She's seen all 900 casts. Uh, I thought that was a little bit. A bit well, of there you fun. go. That's one thing you got in common with the doctor, except for you've only seen one cast. I've only seen one cast, but I have recently seen Hamilton in Boston. 
yeah. so uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, and then we have this solution, which is to uh, feed it an antimatter bomb, the antimatter bomb. And then once it's full of energy, kick it out the airlock. And so it's in space. Uh, it, it looked pretty it looked pretty happy and satiated when it was eating that when that bomb went off. But didn't it? Oh, yeah. Just kind of like me at Thanksgiving at afternoon. Point. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it looked stomach upset, but <laughs> OK. <laughs> so, uh, the, well, there's sometimes there's not a whole lot of difference between that. Uh, so um, Captain Cicero, I'm sorry, Captain General Cicero uh, dies. Um, we had this this sort of brother sister thing going on with her brother, who um, is an engineer and doesn't get much respect from her. Another way in which this episode is a little like the Big Bang Theory, the engineer doesn't get the respect he deserves. Yeah. Uh, so Dirkus is his name, her brother. Um, he, you know, whips up this uh, it, neural interface from uh, for a ship that isn't supposed to have one. I'd love the, the magic engineering that they get to do here, uh, hmm. you know, in two minutes. And uh, <clears throat> she dies doing it. And so he has to take over and just, you know, after the worst part of flying to the asteroid belt is done, they uh, he brings it in for a landing. Um, we get a, and at the end, they gather around her body and we have this very interesting moment of this funeral prayer. Where they pray. Yeah. Right. So here's what, here's what, this is the first time I can remember the doctor praying on screen. Yeah. And she joins in the, in, in the prayer. In fact, everyone except for the, the, the earthlings do. Uh, right. So, this so is, this is a prayer that everybody knows. It's like the 67th century, our father. Yes. Yep. And so it's uh, may the saints of all the stars and constellations bring you hope as they guide you out of the dark and into the light on this voyage and the next and all the journey still to come for now and evermore. And the doctor alone says uh, the for now and evermore uh, at the very end there. Uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's certainly it's not necessarily a Christian prayer, uh, although there is a reference to saints. Which mm-hmm. is, well, loads of religions have saints. Right. Right. Um uh, but saints of all the stars and constellations, which is an interesting. Yeah, thing. I, d- I didn't like that. The constellations part, um, because constellations are imaginary constructs due to humans seeing patterns in things where right. there aren't really patterns. And con- so constellations will look completely different depending on what planet you're on. So they're they're going to be completely subjective. I, I would have just stopped at stars. Yeah, and, mm. and if you want to add to it, and galaxies, because yeah, galaxies like at least are real things; they're not just imaginary constructs. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell whether they would try like the patron saints of or saints who lived on you know around uh, or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, whatever, could it's, be either one. Know, yeah, it's whatever. It's the. It's, I'm not sure they put much thought into it. The, the there's writer. probably a great 67th century schism over exactly that question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Is it so? One side says it's just the stars, and the other side says and constellations. We have to come up with a, la- a particularly Latin or Greek term for and constellations, like filioque. That would be a. Oh no, I meant like, are they the guardian patron saints of these stars and constellations or are they from these patron saints uh, are they from these stars and constellations uh, i did feel bad that mably apparently did not get a uh a, a funeral prayer uh like general cicero did but uh, i i i mean uh, astos astos yeah yeah i i did kind of like astos um i, I liked th- him too but okay here's why he doesn't deserve a funeral prayer um <laughs> 
he is just been he knows that the Pating he doesn't know it's a Pating, but he knows that the invader is in the life capsule and he's just been warned not to engage it and don't go into the life capsule. And then he does. And then he dies. <laughs> yeah. and, Cla- classic and, horror trope. Classic yeah. horror trope. Don't go now, in there. Oh, what's behind this door? Yeah. Now, at least they hang a lantern on it when the doctor says over the intercom, which is the uh, voice dot or oh, yeah. whatever they call it on her neck. Yep. Um, she says, what's going on? And he says, or what's happened? And he says, rookie mistake. And so, well, thank you for acknowledging it. But yes, that's that's exactly what it was, and it was it was an overused trope on the literary level as well. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, that's a that's about the the episode. I mean, we we things wrap up neatly at the end. Um, we have uh, we 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 can presume the doctor. Uh, they say, oh, in fact, not just presume. They said your teleport back to the TARDIS has been arranged, uh, pending the. Yep. You know, got to talk to the authorities first. Right. Get, so, get, yeah. uh, get sterilized and whatever else they need to do. And then. Right. So yeah. they they sort of wrap the wrap a bow on it. Um, so the Saranga conundrum, any any last thoughts on on it? Uh, I, I have a number of little bitty ones. OK. Um, so the book of celebrants, the way the word celebrant is going to ring in our ears as Catholics is Catholics. like a person who celebrates the mass. Yep, right. In fact, Father Corey is a celebrant. So um, so obviously this is a different use of the word. Um, it's going to be related to and I kept trying to parse it in Latin and see, shouldn't this be celebrands? Um, but uh, it's people who are to be celebrated is the right. idea. Yes. Um, then they have stasers they, and they have a couple of them on board. So it's like, wow, I didn't know most ambulances are equipped, are equipped with firearms. Um, but <laughs> in particular, I didn't know they would be equipped with stasers because up to now on, um, on Doctor Who, stasers have been an exclusively Time Lord technology. We only encounter stasers like on Gallifrey, where they're used mm. by Gallifreyan military officers. So somehow in the 67th century, these folks have the same technology. Um, I thought it was very implausible that if these ships have a bomb so that central headquarters can blow them up, that you can just open the SIM card tray and take the bomb out <laughs> um, because why wouldn't everybody do that then? You just, I mean, you do exactly what we have here. You go to the SIM card tray, you open it up, you take the bomb out and you pitch it out an airlock and then your ship is safe. Only you <laughs> exactly. wouldn't bother having a Patang eat it first. Right. right. So um, I thought that was very implausible. Um, I did, I, I did take note of the line where the doctor says, funny, I'm normally the one diffusing the bomb when she's going to accelerate it. Yes. So I like I like that. That was nice. Another nice inversion of a standard trope. Uh, 51 is indeed a pentagonal, a pentagonal number. Um, if you haven't heard of those before, they're an extension of like if you've heard of square numbers mm-hmm. and cube numbers and triangular numbers. There are bunches of other kinds of numbers Um including rectangular numbers and things like that and pentagonal numbers. Um, It's kind of hard to explain in an audio format exactly what they are, but basically you increase the size of a pentagon. And as you do that, the number expands based on the way the pentagon expands. Mm. Wikipedia has a nice page if you want to look it up. 
Um, I thought it was still unreasonable of Ryan not to fist bump Graham. <laughs> and yeah. that's twice now. So I, I can only assume we have the mother of all fist bumps coming later in the season because they need to pay that off. Yeah. Uh, and finally, I, I liked the uh, the the uh, the naming of the baby as the great Earth hero avocado pear. Avocado pear yeah. or pit? I think avocado pit. No, no, no. Avocado pear. That's what pear. they called them yeah. in England. Oh, they called them. It's like it's a kind of pear. Oh, I see. I see. Avocado. <laughs> yeah, the great hero. And then there's uh, the argument of whether or not an avocado is a fruit or a veggie. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, did you have anything else, for Father Corey? Uh, just one, another little minor annoyance. Okay, so the Pating sucks all the power out of the sonic screwdriver. Well, apparently the sonic screwdriver has wireless charging because yeah. it reboots on its own and is fully powered again. Yeah. Apparently. I, I find that entirely plausible. <laughs> oh, by the way, that reminds me. I liked. I like one thing I've noticed about Jody Whittaker's sonic screwdriver is it's got a display on it. Yeah, and she's often looking at it, so she'll scan something and then hold it up to her face horizontally so she can look at the display. And that's realistic because right. I mean, and I haven't seen exactly that done in the same way. I mean, I, I know they've looked at their sonic screwdrivers, but yeah. it hasn't been as obvious that there's this kind of display that you can read on it. Yeah, well, I, I, I eleven. When, yeah, often did that. Yeah. He looked at his sonic. Well, I, I seem to recall when they, they showed the scene of her building it, where she actually pulled like a you know like an LCD display, like you'll see like on my printer behind me here or something yeah. like that, you know, and put it on the sonic screwdriver, so it actually has a LCD display on the screwdriver <laughs> itself. Okay. Um, good. So that's the Saranga conundrum. And, uh, you know, we, I think, I think it's fair to say we all kind of, we all kind of liked it yeah, despite it whatever was it was. It was a fun was episode. Fun. Yeah. Um, the, the Pating, I like not having big political issues to deal with too, for once. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, by the way, the Pating, the, the creator credit for that goes to, uh, Tim Price, who is a, a writer who was involved in this, in this season's, uh, writer room early on, but is not part of the writing staff now, but he came up with the creature and gave it its name and they kept it. So, just a little you bit know, the, the first time I heard it though, I thought they said Patak as in, you know, like Star Trek, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, the curse from a Klingon. Patak. <laughs> I, I thought of the Monty Python sketch. Pating, pating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we do have some feedback um, from Kathleen Ross. Uh, says sent us uh, a couple emails. Uh, one Ooh. is on Rosa, um, and she said, "Did anyone else notice the irony of our racist villain's solution of swapping out the bus drivers to prevent Rosa's historic action of refusing to give up her seat? He would have had to make sure that the replacement bus driver would not feel the need to." advocate exclusively on behalf of the white passengers, um, essentially employing a non-racist to forward his racist ideals mm -hmm. or maybe less racist. That is, that is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then on the Arachnids in the UK, uh, she gives a little bit of a correction that uh, Amazing Grace was not uh, work by Isaac Watts, but uh, was John Newton. So. Oh, yes, that's right. I misspoke. I was reaching for who is the author of Amazing Grace that was formerly involved in the slave industry. Right. And I grabbed the wrong name. <laughs> so, so apologies for that. And uh, so John Newton would, would be. Yeah. 
I'll so, tell you, it's not as it's it's unfortunate, but it's not as scary as when you're talking to someone from the Middle East and you're trying to speak in, say, Arabic. But because Hebrew is another Semitic language, you're mm. reaching for the word you need in Arabic. And suddenly you think, wait, is this the Hebrew word or the Arabic word? What am I about <laughs> to say to this person? Yes, this has, uh, has I, less uh, of, 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 of consequences. And, and, and by the way, Dom got got props for that episode for suffering for our art from Bennett Gillespie. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, I did yes. take one for the team on that one. Uh, so so that's it from us. Uh, you know, folks, what did you think of the Saranga conundrum? Did you like it? Did you like the Patang? Um, did it go Patang instead? Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Did it leave a Patang in your mouth? <laughs> yes. Patang, the drink of astronauts. Never mind. Uh, so let us know by going to sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us some feedback. Or you can send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. You can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. Please leave us a review. Uh, and one of the podcast directories like iTunes or the or the podcast app uh, to help others find the show. Um, five stars, it, please. Five stars is we would love five stars. And mm. uh, if you want if you want to support our, our work here on The Secrets of Doctor Who or and, and our, you want to and you do want to. Just, we, we just <laughs> want to be clear on that. You do want to. Yes. Uh, please go to sqpn.com slash give and uh, help us out there, please. Uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of Doctor Who called Demons of the Punjab. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for sharing me and sh- in sharing the secrets. Thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets <laughs> of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. <laughs> Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Uh, glad to be here and thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, hope prevails. This is Dom Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give.